Chapter Twenty of Miss Marchbanks. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Michelle Crandall. Miss Marchbanks by Mrs. Oliphant. Chapter Twenty. Lucilla had triumphed and did triumph over all the obstacles that presented themselves in her way, and such was her power that after a while she even succeeded in convincing Little Rose Lake of the perfect reasonableness and indeed necessity of sacrificing herself to the public interest of the community. As for enjoying it, Miss Marchbanks said, that is quite a different matter. Now and then, perhaps for a minute, one enjoys it. But that is not what I am thinking of. One owes something to one's fellow creatures, you know, and if it made the evening go off well, I should not mind in the least to be hustled up in a corner and contradicted. To be sure, I don't remember that it ever happened to me, but then I have such luck, and you are such a tiny little soul, you dear little rose. Not that I should like you to be any bigger, Lucilla added, contemplating that little specimen of her raw material with a certain complacency. I like contrast, for my part, and I am sure I give you full leave to box the archdeacon's ears next Thursday, or to tell him he does not know anything in the world about art, said Miss Marchbanks thoughtfully, with a new combination rising in her mind. Thank you, Lucilla, said Rose, but I shall not come back again. I am much obliged to you. It does not do for people who have work to do. My time is all I have, and I cannot afford to waste it, especially. My dear child, said Miss Marchbanks, how are you ever to be an artist if you do not know life? That is just the very reason why you ought to go out into the world, and I don't see for my part that it matters whether it is pleasant or not. To practice scales all day long is anything but pleasant but then one has to do it, you know. I don't blame you, said Lucilla, with tender condescension. You are a dear little thing, and you don't know any better. But I went through political economy, and learnt all about that. You don't think I chose it for the pleasure. But you all know what is the object of my life, and I hope I am not one to shrink from my duty, Miss Marchbanks added, and it was difficult to reply to such a sublime declaration." Little Rose left her friend with the conviction that it was her duty, too, to sacrifice herself for the benefit of society and the advancement of art. Such were the lofty sentiments elicited naturally, as enthusiasm responds to enthusiasm, by Lucilla's self-devotion. Already, although she was not much more than twenty, she had the consoling consciousness that had wrought a great work in Carlingford, and, if Miss Marchbanks required a little sacrifice from her assistants, she did not shrink from making the same in her own person, as had been shadowed forth in the case of Mr. Cavendish, and, as will yet, in the course of this history, be still more seriously and even sadly evolved. Three weeks had passed in this way, making it still more and more visible to Lucilla how much she had lost in losing Mr. Cavendish, of whom nothing as yet had been heard, when suddenly, one day about luncheon-time, at the hour when Miss Marchbanks was known to be at home, the drawing-room door opened without any warning, and the missing man walked in. It was thus that Lucilla herself described the unexpected apparition, which appeared to her to have dropped from the clouds. She avowed afterwards to Mrs. Chiley that his entrance was so utterly unexpected, so noiseless and without warning, that she felt quite silly, and could not tell in the least how she behaved, though the friends of Miss Marchbanks, it is to be hoped, are too well acquainted with her promptitude of mind and action to imagine that she in any way compromised herself, even under the surprise of the moment. As for Mr. Cavendish, he exhibited a certain mixture of timidity and excitement which it was remarkable, 
and, indeed, rather flattering for any lady, to see in such an accomplished man of the world. Miss Marchbanks was not a person to deceive herself, nor did she want experience in such matters, as has been already shown, but it would be vain to deny that the conviction forced upon her mind by the demeanour of her visitor was that it was a man about to propose who thus made his unlooked-for appearance before her. She confessed afterwards to her confidential friend that he had all the signs of it in his looks and manners. He gave that little nervous cough, Lucilla said, and pulled his cravat just so, and stared into his hat as if he had it all written down there, and looked as they always look, Miss Marchbanks added, with a touch of natural contempt. Nor was this all the change in Mr. Cavendish's appearance. He had managed miraculously, in his month's absence, to grow the most charming little moustache and beard, which were, to be sure, slightly red, like most people's. It gleamed into Miss Marchbanks's mind in a moment, that people did such things sometimes by way of disguising themselves, but if such had been Mr. Cavendish's intention, it had utterly failed, since he seemed rather more like himself than before, in Lucilla's opinion, and certainly was more likely to attract attention, since beard were not so usual in these days. They met on the very spot where Lucilla had seen him last, with that look of insane terror on his handsome face. And the archdeacon was still in Carlingford, if it was he who had occasioned such a panic. Mr. Cavendish came in as if he had never been absent, as if he had seen Miss Marchbanks on the previous night, and had no fear of anything in the world but of failing to please her. And Lucilla fortunately saw the nature of the position, and was not to be put out even by such an emergency. Of course, under the circumstances, to accept him was utterly out of the question, but, at the same time, Lucilla did not feel it expedient, without much more distinct information, to put a definitive and cruel negative on Mr. Cavendish's hopes. As for Barbara Lake, that was a trifle not worth thinking of, and, notwithstanding that there was something rather unaccountable in his conduct, he was still the probable member for Carlingford, just, as Mrs. Chiley so often said, the position which, of all others, she would have chosen for Lucilla. So that Miss Marchbanks was not prepared, without due consideration, to bring the matter to a final end. While Lucilla made this rapid summary of affairs, and took her stand in her own mind, Mr. Cavendish had taken a chair, and had opened the conversation. He hoped he had not been entirely forgotten, though a fortnight's absence was a severe tax on anybody's memory. A fortnight, said Miss Marchbanks, how happy you must have been while you have been away, for I assure you a month is a month at Carlingford, and one does not get such ornaments in two weeks, said Lucilla, patting her hand to her chin, which made Mr. Cavendish laugh, and look more nervous than ever. It is a souvenir of where I have been, he said. I could imagine I had been gone two years, judging by my own feelings. I am so pleased you remember how long it is. I dare say it looked a little droll running away so, but I dared not trust myself with leave-takings, Mr. Cavendish said with an air of sentiment. I have been watching over a poor friend of mine on his sick-bed. He was once very good to me, and when he sent for me I could not delay or refuse him. I found he had telegraphed for me when I got home the last Thursday evening I was here, he continued, looking Lucilla full in the face with the candor of conscious truth. Though, to be sure, when people are stating a simple fact, it is seldom that they take the pains to be so particular. I started by the night train and crossed the channel while you were all fast asleep. I wonder if any one gave me a thought, continued Mr. Cavendish, and it was still more and more impressed upon Lucilla that he had all the signs of a man who had come to propose. I cannot say about that night in particular, 
but I am sure a great many people have given you a thought, said Miss Marchbanks. We have all been wondering what had become of you, where you were, and when you were coming back. So far as I am concerned, I have missed you dreadfully, said Lucilla with her usual openness, and she really thought for a moment that Mr. Cavendish, in a sudden transport, was going down on his knees. I scarcely hoped for so much happiness, he said, and though he kept up the tone proper to good society, which might mean sport or earnest according as the occasion served, there was a certain air of gratitude and tenderness in his face which sent Lucilla's active mind a-wandering. He is thinking of the music stand, she said to herself, and then went on with what she was saying, for though Miss Marchbanks had a very good opinion of herself, it had not occurred to her that Mr. Cavendish was very deeply in love, with her at all events. Ah, yes, not only for the flirting, you know, which of itself is a dreadful loss, but then you were so good in keeping the gentlemen to their duty. I missed you dreadfully. There has been nobody at all to help me, said Lucilla. Her tone was so genuinely plaintive that Mr. Cavendish grew more and more moved. He put down his hat, he cleared his throat, he got up and walked to the window. Evidently he was getting up his courage for the last step. But I heard you had some distinguished strangers here, he said, coming back to his seat without having, as it appeared, made up his mind. My sister wrote, that is to say I heard, I, I really don't remember how I got the news, a dean or bishop or something? Oh, yes, Mr. Archdeacon Beverley. He came precisely the night you went away, said Lucilla. Didn't you see him? I thought you stayed till after he came into the room. A nice clergyman is very nice, you know. But, after all, a man who has some experience in society, and we have had no music to speak of since you went away, Poor dear Barbara has had such a bad cold. In short, we have all been at sixes and sevens, and the archdeacon—oh, never mind the archdeacon, said Mr. Cavendish, and Miss Marchbanks felt that he had not winced at the name, though he did glance up at her in spite of himself with a little gleam from his eyes when she mentioned Barbara Lake. Perhaps this was because he knew nothing about the archdeacon, perhaps because he was prepared to hear the archdeacon named. Lucilla did not give him all the benefit of the uncertainty— for she began to get a little impatient, and to wonder, if the man had come to propose, as appearances suggested, why did he not do it and get done with it? Which was a very reasonable question. This time, however, it certainly was coming. I don't like nice clergymen, said Mr. Cavendish, especially not when you think them nice. If I could really flatter myself that you had missed me, we all did, said Lucilla. There is no compliment about it, and poor dear Barbara has had such a cold— ah said the unfortunate aspirant and once more he gave a doubtful glance at lucilla decidedly the name of barbara had more effect upon him than that of the archdeacon it seemed to damp his fire and smother the words on his lips and he had to take another promenade to the window to recover himself after that however he came back evidently wound up and determined and his eyes as he returned to miss marchbanks's side fell upon the music-stand by means of which she had covered his fright and flight if it was not a mere hallucination on Lucilla's part that he had been frightened and had fled on the night he left Carlingford. He came back with the air of a man who means to delay and deliberate no more. If I could flatter myself that you had missed me, he said, you, not anyone else, I might have the courage to ask. It was at that precise moment of all moments that Mrs. Chiley, whom they had not heard coming upstairs, though she was sufficiently audible, suddenly opened the door. Mr. Cavendish, as was natural, broke off in a moment with a face which had turned crimson, and even Lucilla herself felt a little annoyed and put out when, 
as in duty bound she got up to meet and welcome her old friend. One thing was fortunate, as Miss Marchbanks afterwards reflected, that since it was to be interrupted, it had been interrupted so early, before he could have put himself in any ridiculous attitude, for example, for at such moments it is well known that some men go down upon their knees, or at least such is the ineradicable belief of womankind. If Mr. Cavendish had been on his knees, though, to tell the truth, he was not a very likely subject, the position would have been much more embarrassing. But as it was, there was an end. He turned back again to the window, biting his glove in the most frantic way, and taking up his hat, while she, always mistress of the position, advanced to the newcomer with outstretched hands. "'I know you have come to have lunch with me,' said Lucilla. "'You are always so nice, just when I wanted you.' for of course I dared not have asked Mr. Cavendish to go downstairs if I had been all alone. "'Mr. Cavendish!' cried the old lady with a little scream. "'So he has really come back. I am so glad to see you. I can't tell you how glad I am to see you, and I declare with a beard. Oh, you need not blush for what I say. I am old enough to be both your grandmothers, and I am so glad to see you together again,' said Mrs. Chiley with an imprudent effusion of sentiment and it may be imagined what the effect of this utterance was upon the suitor whose love-making, if he was really going to make love, was thus cut short in the bud. He coughed more than ever when he shook hands with the newcomer, and kept fast hold of his hat, with that desperate grasp which is common to men in trouble. And then he kept looking at the door, as if he expected someone else to come in, or wanted to escape, and so far from following up his interrupted address by any explanatory or regretful glances, he never even looked at Lucilla, which, to be sure, struck her as odd enough. "'Miss Marchbanks is very good,' he said, "'and I am very glad to see you so soon after my return, Mrs. Chiley, "'though, of course, I should have called. "'But I may have to go away in a day or two, "'and I am afraid I cannot have the pleasure of staying to lunch.' "'Oh, yes, you must stay,' said Mrs. Chiley. "'I want to hear all about it. "'Go away again in a day or two? "'If I were Lucilla, I would not let you go away.' She is queen now in Carlingford, you know, and then poor old Mr. Chiltern is so ill. I hope you won't think of going away. They all said it was such a pity. Tell me where you have been, and what you have been doing all this time. We have missed you so dreadfully. And now you look quite like a military man with that beard. I have been nursing a sick friend on the continent, said Mr. Cavendish. Not very cheerful work. I am sorry about Mr. Chiltern, but I cannot help it. I have doubts now whether, even if he were to die, I should offer myself. I couldn't give pledges to all the shopkeepers about my opinions, said the embarrassed man, and as he spoke, he put his hat against his breast like a buckler. I must not detain you from your lunch. Good-bye, Miss Marchbanks. I am very sorry I can't stay. But, dear me, stop a minute. Don't run away from us, said Mrs. Chiley. Come and talk it all over with the colonel. There's a dear, and don't do anything rash. "'Good-bye, if you will go,' said the old lady. She sat with a look of consternation in her face, looking at Miss Marchbanks, as he made his way downstairs. "'Did I come at a wrong time, Lucilla?' said Mrs. Chiley, in distress. "'Have you refused him, my dear? What is the matter? I am so dreadfully afraid I came in at the wrong time.' "'Dear Mrs. Chiley,' said Lucilla sweetly, "'you can never come in at a wrong time, and it is just as well on the whole that he didn't, for I was not prepared to give him any answer.' I am sure, on the contrary, it was quite providential, Miss Marchbanks said, but it may be doubted whether Lucilla's mind perfectly corresponded to her words on this occasion, though she was so amiable about it, as Mrs. Chiley afterwards said. For even when a woman has not her answer ready, she has always a certain curiosity about a proposal, 
and then when such a delicate matter is crushed in the bud like this who can tell if it will ever blossom again and find full expression miss marchbanks could not be said to be disappointed but unquestionably she regretted a little that he had not been permitted to say out his say as for mrs chiley when she understood all the rights of it she was afflicted beyond measure and could not forgive herself for the unlucky part she had played if you had only said you were engaged the old lady exclaimed or not at home or anything lucilla you know you never stand on ceremony with me no wonder he looked as if he could eat me poor fellow and i dare say he has gone away with his heart full said mrs chiley with the tenderest sympathy she could not get over it nor eat any lunch nor think of anything else poor dear boy he need not have been so put out with an old woman like me he might have known if he had given me the least hint or even a look i would have gone away said the kind old woman but you must be all the kinder to him when he comes back lucilla and my dear if i were you i would stay in this afternoon he is sure to come back and i would not keep him in pain i don't think he will come back lucilla could not help saying for she had a conviction that nothing more would come of it but nevertheless she did stay in that afternoon and received several visits but saw nothing more of mr cavendish it was rather vexatious to tell the truth for to see a man so near the point and not even to have the satisfaction of refusing him is naturally aggravating to a woman but miss marchbanks had far too much philosophy as well as good sense to be vexed on that account with mrs chiley who could not forgive herself and to make up for the consequences of her unlucky entry would have done anything in the world the old lady herself returned in the afternoon to know the result and was doubly vexed and distressed to hear that he had not come back i ought to be on the archdeacon's side lucilla she said with tears in her eyes i know i ought when it was i that brought him here but i can't help feeling for the other my dear he always was so nice a great deal nicer to my way of thinking than mr beverley not to say but that the archdeacon is very agreeable mrs chiley added recollecting herself for in matters of that description a woman of experience is aware that she cannot be too particular about what she says and supposing that mr cavendish did not come back it would never do to prejudice lucilla against the other candidate i never blamed mr cavendish about that late girl the old lady continued it was not his fault poor young man i know he was always devoted to you in his heart and to think he should come here the very first place as soon as he returned i only wish i had had one of my headaches this morning my dear to keep me indoors for an old malaprop i do indeed lucilla it would have served me right and i should not have minded the pain but indeed i don't wish anything of the sort said miss marchbanks i would not have the best man in the world at the cost of one of those dreadful headaches of yours it is so good of you to say so but you know very well it is not that sort of thing i am thinking of if i were to go off and marry just now after all that has been done to the drawing-room and everything i should feel as if i were swindling papa and it is the object of my life to be a comfort to him yes my dear said mrs chiley but we must not neglect your own interests for all that i think it is most likely he will come this evening he has just come from the continent you know where people do make calls in the evening i meant to have asked you to come down to us as we shall be all alone all alone then where is the archdeacon asked lucilla he has gone out to sir john's for a day or two my dear said mrs chiley and she could not understand the little gleam of intelligence that shot into lucilla's eye he left word with me for you that he would be sure to be back before thursday but seeing mr cavendish when i came in made me forget all about it 
He would be quite distressed, poor man, if he thought I had forgotten to give you his message. I won't ask you now to come down and cheer me up a little, Lucilla. I think poor Mr. Cavendish is sure to come this evening, and I will not stand in his way again. But, my dear, you must send me a little note after he has been. Now promise, I shall be quite in suspense all night. Dear Mrs. Chiley, I don't think he will come, said Miss Marchbanks. For my part, I think it was providential your coming to-day, for I am sure I don't know what I should have said to him. And it is so odd the archdeacon should be away just at this moment. I feel quite sure he will not come to-night. There is nothing odd about the archdeacon, said Mrs. Chiley. It was for to-day he was asked, you know. That is simple enough. If you are sure that you prefer the archdeacon, my dear, the old lady added with an anxious look, but Lucilla cut short the inquiry, which was becoming too serious, by bringing her kind visitor a cup of tea. "'I hope you don't think I prefer any of them,' said the injured maiden. "'If I had been thinking of that sort of thing, you know, I need never have come home. "'If they would only let one do one's duty in peace and quiet,' said Lucilla, with a sigh. And to tell the truth, both the ladies had occasion on that trying afternoon for the consolation of their cup of tea.' But while they were thus refreshing themselves, a conversation of a very different kind, yet affecting the same interest, was being carried on not very far off under the shelter of a little flowery arbour in another of the embowered gardens of Grange Lane, where the subject was just then being discussed from the other side. End of chapter 20 Recording by Michelle Crandall, Fremont, California, February 2011